Hello. Today we are here with Sarah and Steven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Usually you introduce me first and then you get to the guest. That just threw the whole rhythm out of order. I was about to go on this whole thing about how I just stuffed my face with food in between work and this pod so I could be here for the pod. And now I have terrible indigestion and heartburn. But you just threw the whole balance off here. And yet you still worked it in. Well, of course I was going to. I wasn't not going to, but good God. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Welcome so happy to, to be chaos. here. <laughs> I am embracing the chaos tonight. I'm excited. I have photo proof that she says she likes when we derail things. So this is true. <laughs> the secret's out. All right, let's begin here. Three Harry Potter questions and one indulge Stephen because he's been genuinely curious for a while now. Questions: Your house, your Patronus, your favorite character, and then the Stephen bonus question is: Where are you originally from? Okay, so my house is Slytherin. My Patronus is a tortoiseshell cat. My favorite character, okay, I'm going to cheat because two of them are tied, but Regulus Black and Scorpius Malfoy. And I'm technically, I was born in New York, but I have been in Connecticut since uh, I started kindergarten, so... All right, talk to me about Regulus Arcturus Black. Why? And I'm not saying that judgmentally. I just, I don't think I've ever gotten that answer before. Um, His story is just like so intriguing to me. And like, I've always wanted to know more about it. And probably not now (laughs) with like certain things that JK comes out with. Um, But I think there's something that's so intriguing and tragic about the fact that Sirius left and like stayed with James and then Regulus sort of upheld this mantle but secretly sort of had his own come to Jesus moment to try to stop Voldemort and got I mean, getting close to it isn't kind of the right phrase for that because he wasn't very close. But just the fact that he was able to get into the cave and figure everything out and, like, make a replica Horcrux without anybody suspecting anything just shows, like, how strong of a wizard he actually is. And the fact that Sirius never finds out the truth about his brother is just so heartbreaking to me and I think there's just so much to learn about that entire story arc that just is fascinating to me do you think that Regulus's redemption arc salvation or however you want to phrase it do you think that he's his about face on on Voldemort with with the Horcrux in the cave. Do you think that was more a a, a, a direct reaction, which I think is it's painted kind of in, in the text of of what happened to creature a, a, a being who Regulus had a lot of affection to care for, or if you want to extrapolate this and do some more theoretical, semi-educated guesses, which I know you're a fan of doing on your podcast. Do you think there's something there in terms of well, Sirius did not adhere to the family party line, and Regulus ultimately didn't as well? Do you think there's something there about 
the pressures of parenting and, and the, the imposing of, of structure by, by parents on children, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, definitely. I think it's, and I think you can say that about all pureblood fam- families. I think, um, especially during that time, I'm sure there was a big pressure on children to sort of follow into their family's footsteps and uphold these values, I guess, um, that have been carried on for generations. And I think if you think about it in terms of like royal families, it's like, you know, you have the king and then like the eldest son is usually next in line. And then like sort of the son below that really like doesn't have as many responsibilities. Like there's still pressure there, but not quite as much. And so Sirius had he actually subscribed to the beliefs of his family would have been that person to get the dark mark and join the Death Eaters. And him leaving, all of that responsibility falls onto Regulus, um, which I think must be very hard, especially, you know, we don't really know if Regulus and Sirius were like super close growing up or not. But I think all of a sudden having that responsibility that you didn't think you were going to have your entire life and then having to deal with that alone and also having the pressure of like maintaining this image, but not just like maintaining it, but having to be a very good liar, having to like be skilled in probably occlumency if you're going to like lie and sort of slip under the radar with all of these other um, very advanced wizards. That's got to be incredibly hard. So having said all of that and done this very impressive deep dive for this podcast so early on, let's take a step backwards here. How did you come into Harry Potter in the first place? Um, whether the books or the movies, um, you know, how, how does your Harry Potter journey start? It's interesting because I was thinking about this because I, I knew you guys were going to ask this question. <laughs> um, so I actually, my earliest memory of Harry Potter is reading book three and I think I was in third grade at the time and I was talking I remember talking to people about Sirius Black on the playground and I had not yet learned the truth about Sirius Black I still thought he was a bad guy at the time um I don't remember reading books one and two um I don't remember seeing Sorcerer's Stone the movie I remember seeing Chamber of Secrets in theaters um That being said, my elementary school was very open to Harry Potter. Um, We used to have, um, in the cafeteria, we had, like, the long table similar to, like, the Great Hall has. And they would, like, put up Hogwarts, um, like, flags around Halloween. We always had a, they called it a spooktacular. So it was, like, this Halloween event on a Saturday, sort of near Halloween. And right around when Chamber of Secrets, the movie came out, they always have a haunted house. So they called that the Chamber of Secrets, but they also decorated the out, like the front entrance to look like a castle. So like it's sort I'm sure it started like through my elementary school of my discovering of Harry Potter, but I actually really, I don't remember starting that journey. And I, I just, I have barely any memories of like knowing life before Harry Potter existed. From there, you've obviously dove into the fandom at some point as you now have a podcast. Mm -hmm. How do you go from this is something you're aware of 
you remember seeing some of the movies, reading the books in elementary school, to now you have a podcast with a very specific type of audience. I have always sort of leaned toward creative writing and storytelling. Um, I also have always sort of been very connected to fantasy series in general. I sort of just like love to dive in and get lost. Um, so I, like, I'm pretty sure in middle school is when I started, um, I, I'm going to date myself very much here, but, um, in middle school, I sort of dove into role-playing in connection to Harry Potter and pro boards forum sites were like the height of like RP back then. (laughs) And so that's sort of where I was able to like dive in and sort of meet other people that loved Harry Potter as much as I do. Um, But with like role-playing, I think that is sort of, it's very similar to writing fan fiction where you sort of have more exposure to learning motivations about characters and sort of how they would react to things. And so that sort of thinking about like diving in and figuring out maybe what someone's intentions are or being able to like look at a character and sort of figure out how they work is sort of something that informs my work outside of Harry Potter, but also, you know, I love to have like these deep discussions about, you know, why, like, why is Regulus Black the way that he is? <laughs> you know, like that's a perfect example. And so for my podcast, I, you know, I've talked to people before that are adults now and they were like, oh, I just like never, I missed Harry, the Harry Potter train. I like never really got into it. I tried reading book one, but it's like, you know, reading book one as an adult is like kind of hard like not hard in the way of like, it's difficult to read, but it's like too easy. It's like, you sort of like read it and you're like, okay, this is fine. Talking to those people and realizing that there was an opportunity to dive into Harry Potter in a deeper way and sort of give adults that same sort of magical journey, but in a slightly deeper way um, is sort of how the podcast came about. Because, you know, if we take LeakyCon, for example, I was like, so in my element there because I was like oh there's a whole panel on like unforgivable curses that's run by like actual lawyers and they're going to analyze the text from the book and see if like the law applies or not like that's so cool (laughs) like I just I love having those discussions and I think Harry Potter is always like it's never been just a children's book it's something that we can all relate to and I think this was my opportunity to show people how we can relate to it, but also sort of dive into like, you know, the mythology and the folklore behind owls and sort of predict how that's going to inform our reading of the text. So it's really funny that you mentioned the, the unforgivable curse panel, because one of the things that Danny and I do before any of the conventions we've gone to together, which we're, what are we at for now? I forget. But point is one of the things we do ahead of time is, we make Excel sheets where we have basically the full list of panels and then we highlight the ones that each of us wants to go to. And that's an aggressive, ambitious schedule because what ends up happening is we go to one, we go back over to the vendor marketplace. We spend hours just 
ogling all the really cool merch and all the cool arts and crafts and we make it to maybe 25% of what we hoped we did uh, but that one was 100% on my list I remember I remember reading about the panel I don't think that's one of the ones we made it to um, but what what would you say like what have you learned about Harry Potter going through the book so far very intentionally as part of the as part of your podcast and might I know you have yet to plug the podcast so I gladly will it is first year's pod, people. If you're not following first year's pod, this is a great time to open up Instagram. Keep listening to our podcast. Don't stop. And go follow first year's pod. Go subscribe to it on your friendly podcast medium. Because I think we can all, you know, talk about how, you know, J.K. Rowling has pulled from different sources in order to sort of create the bigger world of Harry Potter. But I think sort of diving into that and sort of, looking at how she she's woven it in but also changed it for the for the world sort of has made me appreciate world building a lot more um but not just that i think i have really sort of learned much more about harry himself through what i've read so far on my podcast we're about halfway through prisoner maskaban right now and especially seeing the the difference and the transition that Harry makes between books one, two, and three, the beginning of book three really hit me hard when I uh, when I opened it. I was like, "This is a completely different story," um, you know, and not in a bad way. It's just that Harry, like, all of a sudden, it's like his thirteenth birthday, and he is like, "Okay." I, you know, I sort of deserve space to live in and I am going to fight for, you know, my right to like be in this place. And that is very interesting to me. Um, Also, the dynamics of the friendships, I think, are really interesting to me. Also, sort of seeing how things tie together between the beginning of the series and the end of the series where you're like, I have a whole running list of things that like I've like talked about on my podcast that then relate to later stuff that I have to like go back to because there's just all these little hints of, of things like minor details, serious black being mentioned in chapter one. And then you have no idea he's going to come back until book three. And you're like, Oh my God, I didn't even remember that. So I think that's definitely given me like a greater appreciation of like Harry and his journey as well. Based on, Listening to your podcast and being on an episode of your podcast, where do you start when you decide to research? Because although you say you're a Slytherin, you do have some Ravenclaw research tendencies <laughs> happening. Yes. I, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. Um, so I normally, like, before I even, like, I, I'll read the book in full and I will um, sort of write down all of the things that stick out to me and what chapters they're in. And then I'll sort of lump them together in whatever way makes sense. From there, um, JSTOR is my best friend. <laughs> um, I luckily still have access to it from uh, my college as an alumni. Um, so I have spent many an hour um, researching through JSTOR and reading through Lots of old texts <laughs> that are very long. What is JSTOR? 
So JSTOR is one of those like online um, databases, I guess. Um, and it has a whole collection of like newspaper articles, book chapters, um, essays, pretty much on anything and everything you could think of. Okay. I'm waiting for you. Were you asking that question because you want the listeners to be informed or because you're so old that when you were in college, you didn't have computers, therefore JSTOR wasn't a thing? I was waiting for this comment from him. I knew it was going to come, but <laughs> we did not have this thing when I was in college. <laughs> oh, this is the best moment of the podcast run. Of all like 36 episodes we've done, this is the peak. Oh, good stuff. Okay, I, I'll go back. I knew on it was the- coming. Well, then here, I, I'll, I'll pick up with the question then, seeing as I derail this here a little bit. How do you reconcile, and that's not necessarily the perfect word, but it's the word I'm going to use. How do you reconcile the very creative, I mean, you were a creative writing major. You like, you know, I have to imagine your mind is very much a creative, innovative, fun, imaginative place. How do you reconcile that kind of aspect of the Harry Potter fandom with this super analytical, organized, like research-driven perspective and lens that you've taken onto the podcast? That's a good question. I think the creativity sort of isn't like connecting the two, um, where it's not just like, if we're, if we're taking owls, for example, I did a deep dive. That was one of my first episode. Um, it was like, okay, we have owls that deliver mail. Um, That's how the wizarding world works. Let's dive into the folklore and the mythology of owls. And then you find out that like, you know, I assumed that I was going to find out that, oh, you know, owls are wise and, you know, wizards are wise. And that's sort of the connection there. What I ended up finding out was that owls are actually considered like death omens in a lot of um, like religions. And so they're, and a lot of times they're considered like evil. So sometimes, so we have some folklore that's like where they're good, they're wise, they're smart. And then we have like another one where it's like, you no, know, if you hear one or if you see one, like you or someone in your family is going to die. And I think the creativity of at least my mind is like, okay, well then what does that mean if we put that into context? Okay. So, okay. So they, owls are the ones that sort of bring Harry into the wizarding world. They're, they deliver the letters. They're the link to the wizarding world, right? In, in chapter one. So if they represent, if they're wise, but they can also be evil and cause death, does that mean wizards are good or bad? And then that's an open question that then you can then think of. And I think that's where the creativity of my mind sort of connects with the research that I do, where it's like, okay, well, we see good and bad magic in Harry Potter. So maybe it's both. Maybe it's not just one. On the topic of creativity and creative writing, have you ever written fanfic? I have written many a fanfic in my lifetime. Just Harry Potter? Or have you even written Harry Potter ones? So I have written Harry Potter. I've also done, <laughs> I've also done um, Star Wars and The Walking Dead. Are these published in a publicly accessible location? No comment. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll talk. We'll talk. Fine. I, I, fine. I will. I will 
rephrase the question slightly more, not delicately, but as more of an appetizer than going straight for the entree. What are the themes? What what are some of the themes that you've written about with your Harry Potter fanfic? Are are there are there ships that you're that you're about? Is it is it Marauders era? Is it the the next generation? Is it right after the battle? What are we talking? Oh, I'm oh I'm sort of all over the place. I have some Marauder fan fiction that I've written. I've also had next gen f- fan fiction that I've written. Um, well, whichever one that I'm going to harass you to provide to me at some point after this podcast recording, feel free to speak on that because that's the one at least that I know I'm going to be able to read. I'm sure there's some that you're never going to share. And okay, that's fine. <laughs> Everyone lives their life. Um, but whichever is the palatable one that you're going to share, um, I will gladly like to learn more about. Okay. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Yeah, my ears perked up. <clears throat> All right, Danny, can I do an about face by like 180 degrees here? Sure. So one of the things, Sarah, that I really have come to adore about you as I've gotten to know you better over the course of these last handful of months has been that you are very much, and I I don't mean to mischaracterize you, so if I am, I apologize, but to me, you very much are activist-minded and socially conscious and focused with a lot of your efforts. You know, I, you know, I, you're very outspoken, rightfully so, might I add, as an editorial comment on, on your social media about a lot of what's going on in America. Um, you, you are a conservation-focused business marketing strategist. Um, you, you clearly have a lot of capacity within all the other things that go on in your life for, around this core tenant of doing what's quote-unquote right for the world, right for our communities, et cetera. And so I'm going to read something I found of yours that you wrote right after the fun of the 2016 election. And then I'll ask the question, I promise. Um, so this is a piece that you had written. It's a portion of a piece from something called We Are the Future. And you said, and I'm quoting here, we are going to raise our children to be open-minded, loving individuals that blend into one group instead of separating into several different ones. It won't matter who comes from what background or what someone wears, who they love, or what pronouns they prefer. We know that everyone deserves a place in this world, and we are going to teach our children those beliefs. So events like this, where hatred, xenophobia, and division come into play, will never happen again. And so the question I have is, I guess, twofold, is how, if at all, would you say reading Harry Potter and being so intertwined in this series has that influence kind of how you approach the world and your thoughts on, on activism and, and, you know, political philosophy for lack of a better phrase. And then the second part of that is how, if at all, would you say everything with JK Rowling that's happened in the past handful of years, but particularly in the past couple months, has that impacted how you feel about, about the series, about your thoughts on, on the world, et cetera. I have to say, I'm very impressed with your research. (laughs) Um, so yes, I think, I think Harry Potter, you know, has influenced that within me, but I don't think it was like consciously. Um, but I think that's normal. I think children sort of absorb messages without sort of really knowing or being aware of it. Um, that being said, um, Harry Potter is all about fighting for what's right and like standing up against people who want to oppress others. And I think 
that's sort of the message that if we're going to like boil Harry Potter down to like one big theme, I think that's it. And when it comes to sort of reckoning with JK Rowling and, you know, and it's crazy because, you know, I feel like it feels like she's been saying these comments for like forever. Um, But it really, like, I remember, like, the first time I spoke about it on my podcast was only, like, in December. And I've spoken about it, like, at least three other times on my podcast. She just keeps coming out with stuff to say and won't listen. And I think that's what's so crazy about it is that I don't know how you write a series that is all about, like, somebody sticking up for what is right and sticking up. Because Harry... Harry's not a pureblood, but he's also not a muggle-born. So he's not technically, like, in the group of people that's, like, 100% being oppressed in the overall plot. But he does, you know, what's right because of his friends and because of the people that are around him. You know, Harry is, like, we see from a very young age, Harry is, like, just and sticks up for, for what's right. Um and it's it just it boggles my mind that J.K. Rowling now is just the complete opposite of the series that she wrote. But that being said, I think the way it sort of changed my relationship with Harry Potter is that where I once would have been like, oh, I want more information about the Marauders. J.K. Rowling, please write this. Now I'm like, please don't touch it. <laughs> please let the community handle you know, the theories of the next generation or the theories of the Marauders, like this community has really taken over this series. And I think in a really beautiful way where it's like, we don't, and seeing the, the outpouring of love for this community and like standing up against JK Rowling, was just like this incredible moment to see after she made her comments is that, you know, it's almost like J.K. Rowling sort of helped us stand up to people like her in the end. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people were sort of reckoning with like, okay, well, where does Harry Potter go now? You know, is this still going to be a thing? And I think it's always going to be a thing, but it's not a thing because of the author. It's a thing still because of everything that has been built since it came out, you know, all of the friendships, all of the conventions, the entire, like the entire like Harry Potter community is like so unbelievably welcoming and awesome. And I think that's what really ends up making it timeless, but also allows me to continue to be a Harry Potter fan, despite what JK Rowling has said, where I can just sort of push her away and be like, you know what, if you're not going to like learn and educate yourself and like listen to your fans who are trying to help you not do damage to your like other fans, then we're just going to continue forward without you. Yeah. I mean, to use an incredibly facile metaphor that I haven't fully thought through. So this might unravel as I go, you know, JK Rowling giving us all of the tools in her writing to stand up to the exact sort of bigotry and exclusionism and othering that she embodies and exhibits it's kind of like the difference between Neville and Peter Pettigrew, right? Like they both were bullied. They both were kind of the other of the friend group. Neville learned how to stand up to it in a good way and became very much a, an inspiring, uplifting, you know, warrior for hope and everything. Peter Pettigrew learned how to stand up to it and became a death eater and got his best friends killed, right? Like 
we very much as a community, and not to speak in generalizations, but I think you're exactly right, very much the community has rallied around this concept of being uplifting and inclusive and welcoming and not giving any quarter for any person who has any sort of that division. And and I already closed out your your piece in my phone, so I can't quote it again, damn it. But any of the xenophobia and hatred and all that, like, like we don't stand for that. And and I think it's been absolutely beautiful. I think you're right. It's it's terrible that it has to come out of this this instance, right? This cause, but the effect of this community becoming so much more loud and vibrant about standing up for what we believe in, rather than just talking strictly about the books and the movies and the cosplays, like has been great. Has been so great. That that's my one eighty. So back to you. Do you want to head into some opinion questions? All right, let's start out with the most important one. We have seen three portrayals of Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. I've been waiting for this question. Are you prepared? <laughs> we have seen three portrayals of the man, the myth, the complicated legend. Please rank them for me from favorite to least favorite. I really so wish I've... our listeners could see your face because you look so prepared. And so ready. Steven and I have talked about this before, and this is the question that I have been, like, most excited to answer because I have been astounded. No hate to your other guests, but I've been astounded by some of their answers. The only correct answer to this question is Richard Harris is the best, Jude Law comes second, and then Michael Gambon is in last place. Vindication. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Donna, bring me all the muffins and bagels in the land. Victory is mine. It's the only correct answer. And everyone else is wrong. Between this and Danny and I having computers in college, this is a great episode. (laughs) But I'll tell you why. Okay, listen. Richard Harris has, like, the difference between Richard Harris's portrayal and Michael Gambon's portrayal is that Richard Harris encapsulates that calm, collected, sort of elegant energy that Dumbledore has in the books, where he does not need to raise his voice unless it's to get the attention of, like, a chaotic Great Hall. And there's something that is just so amazing about that energy, and I am so deeply upset that he was not with us long enough to do all of the movies, Michael Gambon's energy, and I'm not even talking about the, like, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire moment. Like, even besides that, it's just, his energy is just, like, wrong. It's too quick. It's, like, there's just, Dumbledore, Richard Harris's Dumbledore doesn't need to, like, command respect in any specific way. It just does because of how he holds himself and how he presents himself. And he can command a room and command authority with his calm cool voice yeah i mean look in order of the phoenix the book we get a cold and distant dumbledore which is explained and once explained is very at least seemingly appropriate uh, given the choices the the michael gambon portrayal across all what is he in five movies yeah five three four five six seven yes well should he does some flashback whatever point is the Michael Gambon performance is the Order of the Phoenix book portrayal of Dumbledore just throughout. He is cold, he is distant, he's often seemingly unaware and confused of what's going on at his own school. And like, 
the way that Dumbledore runs the school in the books to me is very much the same way that like um, Blackbeard runs Queen Anne's Revenge and Pirates of the Caribbean, where he can just make sails move kind of at like the twist of like a little, you know, like hilt of his sword and all this stuff. Like he's got all these different things going on at the same time and he makes it look effortless. And Michael Gambit and Danny, look, we haven't done an episode where I've ranted about this in a while. So you're getting the full rant tonight. Michael Gambit just seems like he has no idea what's going on in his own school at all, at all. He, zero, oh God. And and it's the, the did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire is the big one that everyone loves to talk about. And that is just objectionable. I agree. But there's so much more about his portrayal that he misses, never mind the nuance of Dumbledore, just the core, you know, raison d'etre of Dumbledore. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. All right. I'm done. Danny, it's bad. I'm nodding in in agreement over here. (laughs) Okay. I think he's actually done. I I had to give him a moment because sometimes (laughs) he comes back. One, I did have computers in college. Thank you very much. Were they those super big computers that we see in like season six of Mad Men or it's like takes up the entire room? I had a laptop. Was that the original Macintosh? No, it was a crappy Dell that gave you the blue screen of death. Not a sponsor. Not, not a sponsor. And I have no Dell products as far as I believe. So I no, my monitor for work is a Dell product. One of the things I love about Dell and their suite of products is they provide a crisp, clear resolution on any and all devices. My Dell monitor helps me get through the day through all of my complex Excel sheets and PowerPoints. And I can't say enough good about Dell and their products. Dell, not a sponsor yet. Dell, headquartered in Oklahoma City. Speaking of Oklahoma City, just south of Oklahoma City, which is in Oklahoma, is Texas. You know what's in Texas? Waco. You know what's in Waco aside from a creepy cult? The Dr. Pepper, the original Dr. Pepper (laughs) Museum and Factory. Dr. Pepper, 23 brilliant flavors bottled in a singular cherry caramel delightful drink. Dr. Pepper, the official drink of Creating Magic Podcast, not a sponsor yet. I need this to be a recurring bid, please. (laughs) I think it's been on like the majority of the last few episodes. And you hear how Danny's laughing, listeners? I can hear Danny laughing so clearly through my Bose Quiet Comfort 2 headphones. These headphones are like pillows on my ears. They are so comfortable, and I can hear every single articulated syllable, whether it's alliterative, whether it's a, a very quick-paced rat-a-tat of convo, whether it's the most eloquent soliloquy you can think of. I can hear it all on my Bose Quiet Comfort 2. Quiet Comfort 35.2, I believe. I forget the exact terminology. You know what? Bose, I'm giving you free marketing. You can live with me mispronouncing the, the name of the product. Bose, perfect for creating magic podcast. Perfect for you. Sarah, I'm so glad this happened on your episode because you got to experience our derailing last week. And I love used it. To this. I'm here for it. And you know what else we're here for? And here's the last, here's the last thing I will say, because I am not some sort of sponsorship whore that's just throwing out my seal of approval across all products. But do you love hearing my dulcet tones every Thursday? Do you love listening to Danny's surprised exclamations as she just takes in whatever the hell I just said? You're hearing exactly what we're saying. Like you were in the room because we're using our Yeti blue microphones. These microphones are top notch top of the line. I can't think of a better microphone to record these podcasts with. Yeti. 
not the cooler, the microphone. Well, back on track. If you were at Hogwarts, who are you hanging out with? I can't believe we're just going to go right back into the episode after that. Oh, good God. <laughs> listeners, I am what sorry. What do you expect? <laughs> listeners, look, listeners, y'all got to know. I had, we're, we're, it's, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. So I am midway through a week of 38 meetings on my calendar. And it's just insane. I've had no time to stop and think so much as, you know, rant about random stuff. So you're just getting all the leftover energy tonight. And I apologize or, well, you're welcome. I don't know how you feel about the episode. Let us know by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The question, I forget the question. <laughs> Friend group. Okay. Ah. So I think... This is hard. I feel like I would probably hang out with Ginny because she's an athlete and I was an athlete growing up. Scorpius Malfoy also probably, yes. <laughs> Why? Why? Because he's like a little cupcake. And like I, like, I think we would just vibe together where he doesn't really cause a lot of trouble. Um, I would love to be friends with Harry, but I feel like I was like at that age, I did not i i still don't really like breaking rules so i would be like oh you're sneaking out of the common room like i'm gonna pass i would love to say that i would like be friends with charlie weasley but i think realistically i would probably have a crush on charlie weasley and then would never be able to like get the confidence to talk to him <laughs> all right well so I'm, I'm curious now because we get some charlie in the books but what we get is very fleeting and and in my opinion at least not overwhelmingly descriptive Right. Whereas with Bill, we very clearly know he's got the fang earring leather jacket, Bill Fox. We get that. We don't get a ton of background on Charlie other than like his profession, which certainly is instructive and illustrating him, but not, not as illustrative and instructive. So what is it about Charlie that, that gives you that little, the butterflies in the, in, in the chest? Honestly, it's the fact that like, he loves animals. Like that's what really resonates with me. But also if you're going to like handle dragons, you like, kind of have to be like fit i would assume anyway so and you also I think, don't but I ask think it's questions like for animals yeah yeah Ca- counterpoint biggest counterpoint and most obvious counterpoint i can think of ruby is hagrid <laughs> no he handles dragons he is not fit I, <laughs> we are not fat shaming well, on this podcast he's not I am trained just to handle dragons though Facts. well she didn't clarify that she said he handles dragons See, but also on You're that adding copy area now. is that, because I also love Charlie, he, without asking questions, was like, yes, I'll send a group of friends to pick up this illegal dragon my younger brother somehow managed to find. Yes. So he cares about his family. <laughs> <laughs> but also, okay, to your Hagrid point, do we know that Hagrid's not fit? I mean, do we really know what the, like, what the ideal body type is for a half giant. She has a point. Great point. <laughs> I got nothing. And Charlie's also athletic because he was a seeker. Look, yeah. Ludo Bagman got long in the tooth as he went on. You know. Well, he went to an office job. That happens to everyone. He, well, he was a seeker. Oh, that's not true. I know many a friend, certainly not I. This is not me speaking about <laughs> myself because God knows that would be a lie. Many a friend who used to be athletic who now sit at a desk all day and still find time to, you know, go run and all that crap. Um, Anywho, another Harry Potter question before we get deep into my psyche. 
I won't ask for one because I think it's probably too hard to name just one, but what are some of the, like the handful of things in the movies that weren't in the books that you really appreciate? Things that were in the movies, but were not in the book. Correct. This is a really hard question. Um, I think one of the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that they changed the statue of Slytherin in the chamber of secrets in the movie. Um, Cause in the book, it's supposed to be like his whole body. And I think that would have looked weird filming it. I think it makes more sense the way they designed it against the wall and having it just be his face, like blanking out on all of the films now. Well, like one of the things that comes to mind for me that while it doesn't adhere to kind of the canon and the, the, like the magic of it all, but I like in the movies is when all of a sudden you get like the dark and light kind of flight paths. I don't know what the right word is mm. when they're, when the death eaters versus the order are apparating around and stuff like that. I, I like true. that. Like it's not canon and it doesn't really, I've never read about that in any sort of the magical, you know, theory behind the, you know, behind apparating and, and all that. But I like, you know, visually it, it played well for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm going to need a few minutes to think about this. <laughs> Well, while you're thinking about that, on the note of book-to-movie changes, how do you feel about the burrow burning down? I really don't like that whole scene. Look, I've covered I've covered that ground on this podcast way too many times. I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, it, there's no point. There's no point. Well, there's, yeah, there's no point. And also, one of my biggest things about, like, movies and I, more with TV shows, but, like, the fact that there needs to be sort of a payoff with stuff, like, things need to, like, mean something so the fact that we see the burrow burn, like, burn, and it, like, probably should burn down, and then, like, we see no consequences of that, like, really bothers me. That's just bad writing at the end of the day. Well, it's like, there, but there's no consequence for it, A, because they don't show it, but B, because they're wizards, and they can just put it all back together. Like, we saw that with Dumbledore and Slughorn at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Then you throw in the overly sexualized phallic energy you got going on with Ginny and Harry on the landing of the stairs. Don't even, don't even get me started. Um, Harry is Ginny's wearing sneakers. <laughs> oh, 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 that's my next question. Harry is wearing sneakers inside the Weasley's home. And it's like, like he's visiting for the day. Like he's been living there more or less. Like that is bizarre. There's so much going on. Okay, so, so the Ginny question. And I'll ask it more nuanced than straight up good, bad, because that's, that's not really a great question. Do you feel that the way that Ginny Weasley is portrayed throughout the movies is kind of a a very intentional portrayal from directorial and kind of production choices and the line she's given or not given, that sort of the scene she's given or not given. Or, or, or do we strictly write it up to Bonnie Wright made choices and those are the choices they put in the movie? I truly think it has to do with her acting ability. And... I come at that from an actor's perspective. Um, you have, like, if if her, if she wasn't the only one, then I think we could probably make it a, a, we could blame the director or blame the script for it. And while I do think, like, you know, someone had to have written the scene where she, like, goes to tie Harry's shoe, and I think that's just, like, dumb. She, that's not, like, the, she's just so rigid and, like, all of the things that she does in the films. And so I really think it sort of comes down to her because I like everyone else in those films is fine. So they can clearly get like good performances 
out of these actors. They have the right director for it. So my theory, if I can like, you know, be mean about it, is probably like they probably did try to direct it and she just like couldn't do it or didn't do it. And then they were like, okay, well, this is what we have and this is just how it's going to go. Well, no, I I think it's just particularly interesting that, and as I say this, you have to be right because it's not like there was necessarily a concerted effort to tone down a lot of characters right in the way they did her or the way that she did her, which is such great use of personal pronouns. there, not muddled at all. Right. Cause Helena Bonham Carter just blows Bellatrix out of the water and it's just insane and, and just full anything. of, Oh, incredible. Right. And David Tennant, when he comes in is just, that shit with Barty Crouch Jr. and say what you will about the rest of that movie, and I have and I will continue to. Right? He portrays a madman, and it's damn convincing. Um, and he's not reserved or subtle about it at all. Yeah, Bonnie, I've, I've been Bennett. really trying to keep my powder dry on this one because I am holding out hope that Bonnie will come on this podcast because she's so just enraptured by, by my commentary. But yeah, like, it, like it, if you go back and listen to any of the episodes where we've discussed this, and that's more episodes than not. I have tried to be intentionally very much even keel on this issue, but it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be. Yeah. I, I really don't see any other reason that there would be like for them to actively choose to have Ginny be that like boring. On the other side of where this question started, what scene from the books doesn't matter if it's plot it could be even like a fan service scene that you just love would you have loved to see in the movies this isn't really okay actually it is a scene i was gonna say it's not really a scene but it is um i think prisoner of azkaban i would have really liked to have that running theme of the firebolt and i i like that not just because of the answer itself but because i've i've learned throughout the run of this podcast that I just like when answers are different than the commonly accepted norm. And there's nothing wrong with like the commonly accepted norm because the answers are valid. But, like whenever people talk about prisoner and they talk about things they wish they had, it's inevitably the marauders, you know, and, and that's a great answer. I couldn't agree anymore, but I just like when I hear a different perspective because it gives me something to consider. I hadn't really thought about more because my mind always goes to the group think of the most popular response. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Who would you say of all of the, the cast in the movies, who do you say does the best portrayal of their book character? Oh, it's so hard not to be biased because I want to say Bellatrix, but I also want to say Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy is phenomenal. Um, But I am very biased because I love Jason Isaacs. If we're talking like other characters, I mean, I think like Ivana Lynch as Luna Lovegood is like, completely on point and incredible if you could try any form of food that is mentioned in the books what would be the top of your list and this does not mean that it'd be what is sold at amusement parks or stuff as the equivalent so can i pick like a food and a drink yeah so (laughs) butterbeer would definitely probably be the top drink and then, like, anything and everything that's on the table during the Halloween feast. Clarifying that the Halloween feast and not the death day party. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah, so you don't want, what is it, not nibbles? <laughs> you kind of chop them in their face or the haggis or the... 
The rotting fish. Well, haggis like by itself is actually very good, but Agreed. not when it's rotting. <laughs> when it when it when I enjoy deep fried haggis from a good chip shop, like deep nothing else. Fried haggis. Oh, that yeah. sounds really good. Oh uh, well, look, you fry anything, it's really good. You could fry a tennis bags. ball, and I would eat it, and it'd be good. Um, but yeah, deep fried haggis is phenomenal. Oh, the easy ones. Favorite class. I think I would probably, I, for me, my favorite class would probably end up being Care of Magical Creatures, but I think Transfiguration would be very close to that. Very different classes. Like, like whereas I think Charms and Transfiguration are fairly similar in the sense that they require, they're, they're, they're complex and they require like a very deep understanding of magic, right? Care is much more focused on and I don't say this derisively. It just it's it, it's much less focused on the the theoretical backings of magic and all that. It's very much more a visceral subject. So interesting answer. If you worked at Hogwarts, what would you do? Slash, would you work at Hogwarts? I mean, I probably would because it seems like one of the better jobs that. <laughs> exist in the wizarding world that's mildly connected to the ministry (laughs) you don't want to be a hit wizard (laughs) i don't think i would be able to be a hit wizard honestly if i taught it does it i mean if i taught at hogwarts i would probably i could see myself teaching divination or some sort of like literary course on like something or other how about some muggle classic literature that'd be fun That'd be really fun. Ooh. Now I'm like thinking of like wizarding Shakespeare. Ooh. That could be interesting. Looking <laughs> at it from a magical perspective on some That'd of Shakespeare's really stories. Right? Oh, can you imagine studying Midsummer Night's Dream from a wizarding perspective? <laughs> that would be insane. That'd be a lot of fun too, though. I love that. You know, Shakespeare being a wizard would explain a lot of the conspiracy theories out there about Shakespeare's true origin and being. Oh, my God. Mic drop. Yes. I love that. Sarah, do you have any creator shout outs? I do. And I had to remind myself to make sure I made a list so I wouldn't forget anybody. I have a really bad habit of even telling our guests that we (laughs) do it. So this is a good sign. Um, so my first one shouldn't be any surprise to anybody, but I'm going to shout out Paula on Pensievable because she always just makes my day on my feed and I have been loving watching her hauls and her, her unboxings of like the mystery wands. And it always makes me want to go out and buy stuff <laughs> and I've not broken down yet, but when I do, I will know who to blame. Um, I also have Cat Cave Studio who makes amazing pottery and she's so nice. And I met her at LeakyCon. Um, I actually found her on Instagram before I went to LeakyCon and then we got to meet once I was there. And I have a lovely mug from her and I can't wait for her to like update her shop again so I can buy more stuff. And then I also have Slitherella who has the most gorgeous profile I have ever seen. It is just all like Slytherin aesthetic. And it you when you look through it, it's like just being in the common room. And I just, I want to live in her profile. <laughs> um, and then also I have Cariel who um, 
I met when you guys did your like online convention and I love seeing her pop up onto my feed as well. And then I'm also going to give Emily the nerd jacket a shout out for being the first person to give me a ribbon at LeakyCon last year. <laughs> I, I feel, I don't feel like I had to beg for one. That's going to be a very strong verb to use, but I remember being mad nervous to ask her for one because I didn't bring ribbons to trade and that was all the rage. And I was like, can I, hi, can I have a ribbon please? And she was the, she's the sweetest, most kind, loving person in the world. She was like, absolutely. But I remember being just out of my mind nervous to ask. I didn't even ask for one. Like she turns to me and was like, do you want one? And I was like, I have no idea what I'm taking, but yes. <laughs> we will be on the ribbon game the next leaky con. Oh, I'm I am ready. My my ribbons look so pretty. I am so excited. I'm gonna have to call in the Harry Potter fan to to help me on some ribbon escapades. I'm glad you finished that sentence with another word because to help me on some ribbon was just a very strange sentence. Aren't you so happy we recorded this episode tonight? Um, Yeah, so I, a couple different. First, huge shout out, huge congratulations to Scarlett Hefner, who played Pansy Parkinson, just gave birth to her baby girl, I think yesterday, as of the day of recording. On the note of babies and conception and all that goodness, shout out to Louis Cordes, who played Blaze Zabini, who just posted on Instagram a little while ago, he's having a baby girl. So that's great. Mazel tov. Then my non-Harry Potter actor shout out for this episode. I am going to go to a recurring well for me, which is one of the coolest people I know, Amy from Big Fat Lanyards. And um, Amy's partner in crime on all these super cool Harry Potter frames and pin boards, Magically Marshall. Um, the two of them spent what seems like hours upon hours upon hours basically taking a bunch of different either components and crafts and making their own pin frames and boards or taking a bunch of like, for instance, the have you seen this wizard uh, picture frame and putting inserting like some high quality felt and backing into where the, the photo would go and making it into a pin board. Super cool stuff. I just got mine in the mail today. Love it. So Marshall and Amy... Y'all know I adore you. You guys get my shout out for this episode apart from the whole, you know, babies thing before. Danny, how about you? All right. Well, I'm going to continue off the pin drive here is previously we had the Greg who lived on and he is launching a shop and he can be found at the Greg who lived shop on Instagram. Also, he has some pins that we'll be releasing September 2nd, which this episode will air after. So they're already released and a portion of proceeds are going to the Trevor Project. And on that note, in the most seamless of seamless transitions, if you liked our episode with Greg that we released however many weeks or months ago, I don't really do much work for this podcast, so I don't really know. But we did an episode with him. You should go back and listen to it. Uh, if you enjoyed that episode and you like his Dueling Club series of pins that he's doing, he's also, depending on when we drop this episode, either about to be on an episode of The Pin Pod or he's already been on an episode of The Pin Pod. So be sure to subscribe to the pin pod for all your Harry Potter and Disney pin convo. 
And Sarah, where can we find you on the socials once again? So you can find First Years um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, um, but you can find us on Instagram at First Years Pod. Um, and then if you want to find me as myself, um, you can you can find me at Verita Serum, um, V-E-R-I-T-A, Sarah with an H and then an M at the end. Um, and that's where I hang out. And we all know where we can find Steven. Look, by episode 30, whatever, this podcast, you're already following Muggle and Khakis. If you're not, you're dead to me. So go follow me at the Pin Pod because I need to get those followers up, y'all. Great. Thank you so much for being on, Sarah. Thank Danny's, you for having me. Danny's at Mandrakes and Mischief. I don't know why she didn't mention that, but she's at Mandrakes and Mischief. Go follow her.